Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast, Bud. We've got a lot of recruiting to talk about. You've been bouncing around, doing things, taking a look at kids out at camps. Look forward to having that discussion as well. All discussions are made possible by the good people at Tarpon Sellers Winery. TarponSellers.com is the website. 20% off any purchase with the coupon code NOLCASH. Uh, been in contact with Jeremy and his team a lot over the last month. Uh, and just thrilled at the res- uh, you know the general reception uh, that our audience has provided. Um, had another two people reach out about uh, site visits, vineyard visits. So um, thank you again for the continued support of all of our sponsors. But uh, you know, for two guys on a college football podcast to be able to make a winery sponsorship in Napa Valley work, that's not exactly the easiest fit. And uh, really happy to see that this relationship has worked out as well as it has. Uh, relationships will be a common theme in today's conversation, bud. Going to be talking about recruiting, uh, gauging relationships, where this staff is at, uh, you know, a, a decent little mile marker in the recruiting process. When you start to have kids come to camps, you get an idea as to where you are. You get an idea as to where you're not with other kids. Um, look forward to today's conversation. It's June. It is the summer. Uh, but excited to uh, get your takeaway as to what you've seen. And I think we've got a decent little barometer with which to judge what the uh, you know success on the 23 class has been so far. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to talk today about a little recruiting. Uh, was up there in Tallahassee for uh, Saturday and Sunday, and then also made the trip down to FIU uh, to see the satellite camp down there uh, that was participated in by FSU and Michigan and Ole Miss. So uh, those were all uh, good events. I'm not going to tell you that they were perfect, but I feel like overall – uh, you know, fine events for a program that has gone, whatever they go, three and whatever in uh, in 2020 and then five and seven last year. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of juice on the trail right now. Uh, I don't think they have less juice than they should have, I guess, at, given that at most spots. Um, but I, I think one of my main takeaways here is that you are seeing which coaches on staff are actually good recruiters and which ones are probably not. And the people who are good recruiters are the guys who are able to form those relationships and have that kind of magnetism about them that they're still able to get guys to come to the school and to come up to camps, even when, uh, you know, you don't particularly have uh, good results so far. Um, I thought, and I'll I'll get into that a little bit, but that's kind of one of my main takeaways after spending three days, uh, you know, seeing the staff recruit and coach and evaluate. Uh, Elite camp was... uh, solid i thought the the quality of player you had there as far as like the better guys was generally good um i think it is important to remember that you had guys having trouble getting up to uh to tallahassee from south florida particularly due to the tropical storm that blew through you know you had people's cars flooded out that just not a great situation uh to travel either day of saturday or uh you know obviously day after on sunday um but you had a pretty decent number of good names at elite camp, including some prospects that you needed to get there. Again, uh, you always want to see Rod Kearney there, right? Um, you know, you wanted to see, you know, see Shivers. You, you want, you wanted to see you know, DJ Chester. Um, those guys obviously showed up for Alex Atkins group as did a number of other, you know, top prospects that FSU was in on there. Um, you got to see your receiver commits again, got to see, you know, all, all day Drave and Dravius Jacobs. Um, also got to see Goldie Lawrence, those were, uh, were interesting prospects to me uh, for various reasons. Number one, 
for whatever is in the water in Tallahassee, Dre Jacobs just seems to play much better in Tallahassee than in any other setting I see him. Uh, you know, like I've seen him at the uh, UC Report camps, and not that he is bad there, right? But uh, he didn't dominate there like he did uh, in Tallahassee once again. So that's now two times that he's dominated right in front of Mike Norvell uh, last year at that seven on camp, and then again at elite camp. And you did have some good corners uh, who are, are, you know, top 100, top 200 type players nationally, both in the 23 and 24 class that he was going against. Um, I was told that Goldie Lawrence actually uh, was much faster in terms of measured speed than uh, than I think he is. So I had that discussion there, and that's uh, encouraging. Maybe he has a little better play speed than I realize. Um, certainly would hope to be wrong on that on my end. And then Randy Pittman was, you know, fine, the tight end prospect. But you know, there are other positions there where I thought uh, I thought the the talent was was somewhat lacking, right? Uh, I, for one, I would have liked to see some other potential receiver targets there, and uh, and I didn't see the the depth of receiver uh, room there that I wanted to, including like where were the twenty fours that that we feel are going to be really good? Where were the twenty fives that you guys think might be, uh, you know, quote unquote elite? Um, they were not there on Saturday or Sunday either, by the way. So I thought overall. Being in the state of Florida, uh, a state that produces quite a few good receivers over the years, obviously, uh, I thought overall the room there was lacking. Um, Can you but, not cut and paste those comments at linebacker and running back as well? Yes, 100%. Yeah, I I, I would think so. Uh, linebacker was, was really poor. Look, you guys know my thoughts on that. I'm not second-guessing this. I first-guessed it when, when, when the move was made. I didn't understand the hire of Randy Shannon to the full-time staff. I thought him as an analyst was fine because of you know what you were paying him. And clearly, like it was a move, in my opinion, to get Earl Little Jr. if, for some reason, Bama faltered or Bama you know, filled up. Um, I, yeah, that's I'm not expecting much at linebacker as far as recruiting with that choice of, of coach. So uh, I will say, I don't know, Elite Camp was was fine. Um, I want to jump into a quarterback discussion in a little bit, but I want to save that kind of because there's some other stuff I wanted to go over from the other camps that I got to, and then we can kind of get into the bigger holistic QB discussion. Uh, but one QB I do want to talk about is Luke Kromenhawk, the 24 that they took from Benedictine up in Georgia. He didn't start last year because the four-star Auburn QB Holden Gariner did start. Um, I got to tell you, I think they may have something here. Like, really have something. Yeah, the uh, the initial feedback is is very strong, obviously. Uh, you know, fortunate to be able to text with you and communicate decently uh, regularly, but almost everybody that I talked to down there uh, was impressed by that kid to the point that if you're Florida state, you can go ahead and acknowledge one good evaluation Two, you're going to be fighting this one out. I mean, th this is a, a kid who, uh, other staffs are going to see as you just referenced there. Uh, I don't know if, you know, veiled is the right word, but certainly not as, as, uh, out there as most kids in his position would be because of who was in front of him on the high school depth chart. Um, yeah, again, whether it be Cam Davis, whether it be uh, Luke, I'm not going to get too worried about a 24 kid just because there's so many things that are going to transpire between now and then and so many different events, like the results of games, 
uh, that are going to dictate how seriously you end up being involved in those commitments or recruitments rather. Uh, but yeah, what, you know, you're not the first person to be really pretty impressed by what they saw, or at least express that to me by what they saw out of the, uh, the kid at the Savannah area there. And so like Kermit Hawk was fine when I saw him at UC Orlando, the camp about four months ago, not special that day. I didn't think, uh, but he had not played a whole lot of QB. Uh, and you could tell he's, he's definitely worked with his quarterback coach and gone through spring and, I talked to some coaches who went there in spring, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that that kid's a stud." Um, he threw a ball from the logo that hit the wall in the IPF, and not like at the base of the wall. I mean, fairly high up the wall, and so that's fifty yards to the goal line, ten more for the end zone, and then probably another ten from the end zone to the wall. Dude, that's like seventy yards in the air. Yeah, that's a like that's a pretty serious arm. And not like a not like a moon ball. Uh, so that was that was encouraging. We know the kid's a very good athlete, given that he did play safety uh, and receiver last year for his high school team. Uh, he does have some FSU connections. I know he's gone to FSU games growing up. It's not just like some random uh, thing there. So um, he actually, I was talking, he referenced the uh, the meatball uh, grilled cheese at Madso, which they no longer have. Uh, but I mean, I'm thinking if he comes to Fort State and is the starter. I, I, I got a feeling Matt would probably bring that menu item back if the starting quarterback loves a sandwich at Matt. So I think Matt is uh, Matt would be all over that. Matt would be willing to do most things uh, for, for starting quarterbacks and certainly bring back an, an old popular uh, recipe item would be fantastic. So um, do we want you know to go ahead and delve into the broader quarterback? No, I want, I want to talk about Shymeek Jones first. Shymeek. All right. Or maybe it's Shymeek. I think it's Shymeek. I talked to the kid, and I, I can't remember how I pronounced his name. Um, that's probably rude on my part. Let's go with Shamik. Unlikely pronounced it Shamik. So, uh, 6'5", 255, 79-inch wing. Um, by far the best 40 time of anybody over 300 pounds, or over 250 at the camp. Uh, I actually pulled up his film earlier, and he's playing like stand-up linebacker in high school, which is, the film's pretty nice. Uh, he's a basketball kid who played some football last year for the first time, uh, hurt his leg. He appears to be back and fully healthy. He destroyed uh, everybody they went against and was very impressive. Uh, it's, I think he'll probably be, you know, 290 plus by year two of college. And uh, just a, a guy with, with a, a whole lot of helium. I think every school or damn near every school at the camp, including Florida State, offered him and there were i think well no it can't be every school because there were 20 schools on campus but I, I fsu offered i think indiana offered a bunch of other ones have offered and i'm sure he'll get a bunch of other ones as he goes back so um, he's, i think he's up to 10 offers as of today that's a guy out of camden south carolina that they'll uh, continue to monitor he does have some kind of fsu connection so i'll be interested to see how that one progresses, but they're certainly on him early and uh, it shows the value of going to these mega camps. Um, there's, I think there is value in, in it for the kids. I think there's some value in it for FSU staff and that you're doing a service for the high school coaches of, of the state that they got to like that, right? You bring your, your guys up, your guys can get evaluated by, you know, 20 programs at one time. That's, that's pretty solid. 
Yeah, so it looks like he tweeted out like 14 different offers on June 6th, which is impressive. Okay. I had one guy who's on one of those staffs that offered him call me and ask me uh, what your opinion of him was, bud. And I was like, you know, I think he's down there on the field. You should probably go ask Bud what he thinks rather than <laughs> yeah. calling me. And he's like, no, I'm in Nashville doing evaluations, but uh, thank you. <laughs> and I said, all right, I'm sorry, man. But uh, oh, yeah, man. yeah, it's uh, but yeah, no, he he certainly caught many people's eyes. It looks like. You know, USF, UConn, um, Missouri wasn't even at the camp, and they offered him. Okay, yeah. that day. So, uh, Georgia Southern, App State, Western Kentucky, Southern Florida, or Southern Florida, um, USF, South, South Florida, Bethune Cookman, got a lot of offers. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, given that he hasn't really played much football at all, uh, I was pretty impressed by the huddle that I watched earlier, and uh, just the the ability to bend the edge at that size and he doesn't really know what he's doing yet but he's got a whole lot of potential so that's encouraging um one guy i want to talk about that does know what he's doing uh and is quickly becoming a pretty big national recruit i think uh, but yet this is a player people are like hey fsu's not in it for any of these top guys i, I kind of disagree i think they are in it for some of these top guys it just depends largely on the position coach relationship of course nil is going to matter as well uh, but jordan hall Defensive tackle out of Jacksonville, four-star kid, pretty solidly in the top uh, top 200 player in the country. Uh, showed up, actually competed at Mega Camp, did really well, fairly dominant. Uh, loves Odell Higgins, and that's just a relationship that Odell continues to build. Uh, he, I think things are fairly okay at that position, and I was worried about that position about this time a year ago going forward. And I, I know the staff feels like they – probably have two hits in this last recruiting class at that spot, which is encouraging to hear just based on word out of Tallahassee. And uh, I think they're solidly in it for Jordan Hall. Doesn't mean they're going to get him necessarily, but the idea that none of the kids in Florida who are, are highly rated kids are considering them is, is just not true. Uh, so that's kind of what I have from mega camp at Tallahassee and from elite camp. And if we can shift down to uh, or no, one more thing. Atkins also got Jimothy Lewis on campus uh, for the mega camp, or, and he is the number one offensive tackle in the country for twenty four out of Madison, Mississippi. So that was was good to see, obviously. And he also got a bunch of other guys. Like they're not going to offer Ty Ray right now. Ty Ray is a six foot six offensive tackle at Apopka, but Ty Ray is a guy you should continue to monitor throughout the year, and you're starting to build that relationship now because you had a chance to come up and coach him. Uh, this is what other coaches on the staff, it's it's easy for me to sit here and say they need to do this. It's common sense. And I'm sure they need to know that they need to do it. They do know. They're just not doing it quite as well as a guy like Atkins is. Uh, but you have to get guys up there who maybe aren't offer guys right now, but who could turn into offer guys down the line, either because you miss or either maybe they just turn out to be better than you realized they were, had good senior seasons, and you don't want to be, be late on those guys. So certain position coaches – I thought, you know, defensive line, offensive line, pretty good. Other spots, mm, kind of depressing. So, yeah. However, I did mention that receiver was something that I was not super impressed with. I will note this. Um, Norvell got to spend a whole lot of time, as well as Atkins, who's the OC, and Dugans, the receiver's coach, with both Jalen Brown and Hakeem Williams down there at FIU. Um Norvell and, and Jalen were chopping it up quite a bit at the start of camp and Hakeem, uh, you know, talking to Atkins after the camp 
uh, quite a bit. So those are uh, two of the top three receivers in the state of Florida who are actually from Florida. Obviously, Carnell Tate at IMG is uh, is not from Florida, uh, but that's really uh, that's really encouraging, man. So Hakeem and uh, and, and Jalen are dudes who I'm not really considering FSU running first for them right now, but I think the idea that that neither would come is not accurate at this point. Like there are definitely guys that will get brought up on the message boards and I'm thinking, no, this is not going to happen. Like that position coach plus this timeline plus, you know, this, it, it ain't going to happen. I actually think they are legitimately in it for, for these two. So some encouraging news there. Um, but yeah, I, I thought, you know, Atkins, Papuchas, Odell, uh, Tokars. It's not like Tokars is going to get that many guys down because they already have a commit for 23 and a commit for 24. But even, even so he, he had pretty guys down, pretty good guys down for the room. Uh, there was a kid at, uh, at winter garden who I like a whole lot, uh, who threw back to back days, he actually threw on Sunday and threw again on Monday down at FIU. That's a guy I could see blowing up a little bit. Those guys are doing good jobs with their positions. DB will kind of see. It's also important to me to note here, and the staff feels like they have done a pretty good job getting kids in on visits throughout the offseason. Whereas last year, Mega Camp and Elite Camp were bigger splashes because visits were not allowed, or at least officials were not allowed. And I think there is some merit to that. I don't want to completely write that off. But I also don't want that to be used as a crutch because it is their job to continue to get these kids on campus for unofficials repeatedly to continue to form relationships. That's what good recruiters do. And for some of these guys, I feel like they're not getting on campus enough. Uh, others, I think, are. Just want to point that out, like, you know, hear both sides. Uh, but it was definitely not as talented uh, as last year's camps were which probably shouldn't be expected to be, I guess. I don't know. Yes and no. I mean, it's a broader conversation we can have later on, but I, I am glad you threw that qualifier in there. It's um, more or less what's expected, and that's the job. I mean, uh, you're right. There were certainly limitations last year that are unique. Uh, anyway, if there's nobody else, can we move to the quarterback discussion now? But Let's do it, man. Yeah. All right. First, uh, talk about moving. What if you need a home? Right, you need a home loan. Maybe, maybe the legendary team is the right team to call eight four four FSU loan eight four four FSU loan four hundred home loans or refis through the legendary team helped out our listeners all the time. Shannon and Chad are the guys to go to eight four four FSU loan. They find the best rate for you. Customer service, knowledge of the industry, understanding when to move. Give them a call. Find out why four hundred Nolcast listeners have done so, including me twice. So. Uh, big thanks to those guys for continued continued support of the show. Yeah, let's talk a little QBs, man. So Chris Parson was down there. I know you got a chance to talk to him directly. Enjoyed your interview, particularly the uh, last part of it, bud. Uh, but what were your thoughts on Parson in general? You know, I know you've seen him in person a couple times previously. Uh, let's let's just have the quarterback and Parson discussion here and use that as a jumping off point. Yeah, um, so I thought he was probably the third best quarterback of the day at Elite Camp. Um, I thought Kromenhawk was was the best in terms of performance plus tools. Uh, there's a guy named Andrew, was it Marchant? I think he's at uh, he's at St. Paul's in California, and uh, he came out. He actually threw 
both days, and then probably Parson after that. Uh, he wasn't bad per se, but he's, his stroke just didn't look as natural and fluid as it does on its huddle. It looked like he was maybe just, I don't know, too mechanical, kind of thinking. You, you ever watch like a bunch of Instagram videos on, on your golf swing and go out and try to swing and it's just a mess because you're trying to implement a bunch of different changes at one time? That's kind of, you know, what it what it looked like. Um, you know, it he's not huge if you haven't seen him. Like, he's not real tall, but he's fine. Like, he's not a uh, not a bad quarterback prospect by any means. He, he's not, to me, like an obvious level above an A.J. Duffy, who you just signed. Just, and and probably not as accurate as, as Duffy is. Uh, so, it's interesting you know, what will happen there. As you mentioned, I did speak with him. You could see that, that interview uh, on Knowles 24 seven. He, and I also tweeted it out. He basically just said, Hey, like they told me about this. They're going to bring another, bring in an offer to other quarterbacks. Uh, we communicated about it as long as they're good and I'm good. We're good. And I was like, well, are you good? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. However, uh, I believe Zach Lostein reported that he is taking visits uh, to, or maybe the Mississippi state 24 seven site did apologies to whoever had it first that he's going to take a visit to Mississippi state this weekend for a camp. Um, I don't know. Like, does he end up in the class last year? If you recall, they kind of drew a hard line in the sand for Nico, right? That if you visit, it's done. And he visited West Virginia and basically it was done. They don't seem to be doing that this time for Chris Parson. Why do you think that is? Oh, that's a good question. I think last year there was also a, a rather clear alternative that was presenting itself pretty quickly uh, than Nico. Look, I, I just think both parties realized there was a early commitment here made, both literal and metaphorical, um, and that they're going to let this play out. I don't think it's uh, wise to necessarily – play super hard uh, with Parson at this point in time also because he's probably outside of three or four members of the coaching staff, the most continuous element of recruiting that's present with a lot of these kids that you're chasing right now. Uh, so you don't want that necessarily to sour as quarterbacks, particularly quarterbacks that commit early, frequently turn into uh, recruiters for you. Um, but I don't know, but I'll, I'll be interested. I mean, I think the want is to the realization here is that both parties are going to evaluate their options. And if Parson makes that evaluation, stays on and becomes one of the two, that's great. Uh, if not, I don't know that you necessarily need to, uh, you know, hammer out a decommitment in this point in time from him. Yeah. And it wouldn't shock me if he, if he did decommit, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, I, I have my guess, but um, I think you have less leverage now than you did prior. Right. At the time, I think you had a lot of leverage because you were riding high with a lot of summer momentum, and now you don't really have that, right? You just went three and nine and, and five and seven. So uh, I think you have less leverage to play with. And you have two kids coming in for visits, right, this week in you know Brock Glenn and Ricky Collins. However, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Collins gets offered by LSU. Brock Glenn did just get offered by Ohio State, and – I will tell you there's some speculation from other coaching staffs when I was talking to some coaches around the camp. Uh, like, what if AM misses on Rashada? Uh, are they going to go in on Brock Glenn? 
So I don't think that you have the leverage to just uh, move on, even though I'm sure you don't love Parson taking visits elsewhere. But if I'm Parson, I'm definitely taking visits elsewhere. If you're offering other quarterbacks, I'm going to check out my options as well, even if I know you want to take two. And if you had the leverage to do so, you probably should do so, right? I mean, that's just, it just makes sense. Teams and players are going to do what they can get away with doing. And in this case, I don't think FSU has the leverage to tell Chris Parson, hey, if you visit, visit elsewhere, we're done. Because Ricky Collins and Brooklyn are not a sure thing. Now, I think they're both pretty damn good prospects. There's a chance that they're both better than, than Chris Parson is. We'll see. Uh, at Elite 11, you'll know, be able to see these guys up close in person. Uh, but they've expanded their board. I think they would like to take two. It, all, it wouldn't shock me if their internal evaluation is that Glenn and, and, uh, and Collins are better, to be frank. You know, I, I you would think a kid going to Florida State who is going into his senior year would pop at a camp without a bunch of like four and five stars at the quarterback position. And to me, he just didn't. It's fine, but not special. Yep. You know, I know at 24-7 sports, we have a, a high three-star grade on him. I didn't really see anything to indicate that that should be changed. All right. Fair enough. I mean, we'll continue to, to monitor that. And as we talked about a week ago or so, the quarterback situation is very much kind of playing itself out and quarterback historically tends to uh, resolve itself earlier than any other position. Uh, moving on to the offensive line, uh, Justin Turrentine is a individual that we talked about in the most previous podcast, potential transfer prospect from South Carolina, Massive when it comes to uh, physical stature. He's in Tallahassee, what, either today or tomorrow, I believe. Uh, today. So he's on campus taking a look. And um, like we said, not somebody that's going to necessarily, you know, light the world on fire. Uh, but a kid who did start, I think, four games last year and, and five then he got games benched. previously or something like that. So I think in all, he started maybe 11 games in total for South Carolina. Um, and yeah, and he was pretty bad against a bad competition playing time come and go last year. Yeah. And when it came back, part of it was due to injury of others. So, uh, yeah, we just want to be honest with what this is. It would be a, a nice backup. Uh, potentially it would put more of kind of that buffer zone, uh, between prospects that aren't ready to contribute being forced to play. Uh, but I, you know, I'm not trying to, make this out that you took some, you know, guaranteed starter from a, a South Carolina school uh, and you plugged him straight into your roster. I think uh, you and I both said that our expectation would not be for him to be a starter. Should he remain or should he have remained on the South Carolina roster? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I, he was not going to start for South Carolina. I don't think he'll start for FSU. The question to me, if you take the kid is, is he better than, than Willis or, or at this point? Can he be your seventh offensive lineman? Do we think he's he's better than those guys? I think so. I'm not like 100% convinced that he is, but I I think that he is, at least. I mean, I'm, I'm not – I don't know, man. It's tough. Like, I'm not 100% convinced, but I think he mm -hmm. probably is. Yeah, kind of damning in and of its uh, own self there. But uh, Rod Kearney, one of the more – positive potential aspects of the 23 class and do you got a chance to look at him uh, a couple other prospects up there gj chester certainly a big impressive physical kid 
Uh, what were your thoughts on some of the high school offensive linemen that you had a chance to take a look at? Yeah, uh, so I thought Kearney was actually very good. Um, he's he's rock solid. DJ Chester, obviously, you know, we have rated extremely high at 24-7 sports. Jatavia Shivers, I think, is a guy that they they like and they feel would be a nice fit for them. I think he's probably an interior guy. Uh, but still, that's, that's a, a potentially an important player for them in that class. Again, like Alex Atkins just continues to have good relationships with these guys. You know, and if you have a lot of good relationships, some of those are going to end up as commitments. You know, that's just that's kind of kind of how this works. Um, a couple other notes, by the way, I, I want to bring up here uh, before we get to linebacker from from the FIU camp. Right. So two other names to know uh, that FSU, I saw them talking to quite a bit. Uh, one's a kid at Dr. Phillips, uh, Jimez Hamilton. I don't know if you've seen him or, or not. He does not have a rating. Right now, corner came in at 6'1", 170, was very good in coverage, I thought, and, and, and somebody who Ole Miss offered that day, I, I would expect him uh, to get a good number uh, of offers as well. Another one is a 24 kid, uh, Josh Philistine. He's at Cardinal Newman in West Palm, guy with, with some impressive track times, uh, not rated yet, but obviously it's a 2024, so got a ways for that. Indiana uh, offered him as well, but... Uh, Another guy to, to kind of keep your eye on. A little bit smaller uh, than than Jimenez, obviously. Two other guys to uh, to keep an eye on here. One is Micah Mays. Micah Mays plays at the Benjamin School in Palm Beach. And he's a three-star on, on 24-7 sports. I think this kid's fairly good, actually. Uh, I've seen him play competitively and seven-on. He's a guy to where if he's like your third or fourth receiver in the class, I think you're probably feeling fairly good about that. Uh, FSU seems to like him more than a few kids who are rated higher than him. Um, offer so far, Wake Forest, NC State, Georgia Tech, Iowa State. Uh, I don't have a verified time on him as far as like a 40. He did run the 400 in 47.52, which I think is good. I'm trying to, 400 times, I'm not really like off. I can tell you what a good 100 is, but 400 time. I'm not really sure. He does do a lot of track stuff. He was third place in the high jump at States. He ran on their four by four squad. Um, but oh, actually, here I found it now. Yeah, 47.52 is the uh, state title as a junior in the 400. So I'm a dummy. I should probably know what a good 400 time is, and I don't off the top of my head. But yeah, he won the other uh, state title there at 47.52, and uh, he also uh, took home the state title in the triple jump. Triple that's jump. at one. Okay. That is now a that, unique blend of athleticism uh, to be able to. And he got third the in the high jump. jump. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, look, here's the thing. That's one A. I don't know where 47.52 would have placed you uh, in 4A or 6A in this state, right? I'm not trying to say the kid is slow. Just when I watch him, he doesn't come off as like no doubt track star to me. So that's why I was a little bit surprised that, you know, that that time was the state championship time. Um, but, you know, his dad was a QB at Grambling. FSU spent some time with him at the camp as well. I know they they seem to like him uh, a decent bit. One other guy that they were very excited uh, to see show up because, you know, you saw Norvell and Dugans and all those, all those guys walk over to him uh, was, was JoJo Trader. JoJo Trader is the number one athlete in the country uh, for the class of 2024 almost 6'2", you know, 180-ish, very athletic kid out of, out of Miami Central. 
And so that look, the volume of players at, at the FIU camp that are FSU or Michigan or Ole Miss quality was not great. However, the amount of time that they, they were able to spend with kids who are legitimate big time targets was pretty good. Because if you're not hosting the camp, you're not really expecting to be running the camp. I think that's why they go down there and do the satellite thing. And you know, man, I, I will say this. A lot of staffs probably don't want to do that because they've been working camps all weekend. FSU under Norvell is willing to put the work in, it seems. Or at least most guys on the staff are. That they had, that they had previously scheduled to do this, they had, you know scheduled it about two months ago, that they were going to go down was extremely fortuitous given when the tropical storm hit because I know that they were disappointed that some of those South Florida teams did not get to come up to the mega camp on Sunday, but they were able to make it out on Monday. So by being willing to put the work in ahead of time, like it wasn't reactionary. It was, Hey, we're already scheduled to go. This is actually solid that we're going to be able to get to see some of those kids down there. Um, so that was, that was encouraging. Trying to think what else. Uh, another kid to to uh, to think about here, if you guys are, are big tape heads, Luane McCoy is a player at Avant Garde Academy, a school that I've actually never been to. It's in Hollywood. Um, he killed it. So he's definitely on the radar of quite a few schools now. He was mossing guys quite a bit. Um, what else do we got? I think that's probably it as far as camp stuff. Um, I know they have Wilkie Denod today up at the big man camp. You can check out Nils 24-7 for coverage at big man camp. We'll see if he becomes a take for them at some point. Uh I'd probably take him, but you know, I don't I don't run I don't run the program. Would would you scholarship turn team? <clears throat> um I would lean more likely to that as we discussed last week. He's a he's a one year thing. It's not if you if you get it wrong, he's off your roster. It's not somebody that you're potentially committed two or three years. As long as you feel like the the buy-ins there from an attitude perspective and somebody that knows he's going to have to work and it's not just a guaranteed starter because he started a couple games in the SEC East last year, um, I would lean more to it. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Uh, you want some negative news? Um, yeah. I've, I've, we've kind of – We've been selective in, in what we haven't focused on in some of the negative recruiting so far, but yeah, let's hear it. Oh, oh, speaking of negative recruiting, I got another thing for you. So it's very clear that this staff feels it's being negatively recruited just based on what prospects tell them. And I think that's definitely true. Like they are being negatively recruited. I want to share an anecdote here that some other guys I was standing around talking to, I think they meant it kind of as a compliment, but also maybe as a dig. And the conversation basically was like this. These guys like aren't acting like a staff that's about to get fired at the end of this year. And I, I was like, well, I didn't tell them like, well, guess what? Like they're not going to get fired at the end of this year. Like, like I know that's kind of, it's going to be in some national articles and stuff, hot seat, all this crap, but unless they go like, like three and nine, you know, or have some crazy off field stuff. They're not getting fired this year. Who who was that comment from again, bud? So other coaches at the camp. Okay. Like from other staffs. And I was like, what do you mean? We're like, well, I haven't heard about them like reaching out and saying like, hey, if things don't work out, you know, like keep me in mind type stuff. So I guess what I'm saying is, and granted, they're not really recruiting against any of these staffs that were at the camp, right? Like 
none of these staffs, I mean, Indiana, Rutgers, are, are not really competition for them. Not that they came from those coaches, but I'm just saying. You know, I. it seems to me like the feeling in the industry from other coaches is that these guys are on the hot seat. I don't Let's think that's a discussion here, bud, because it, it I, it's nice that you and I disagree a little bit. And I've been thinking about this the last week or so. I think the situation where jobs could be brought into question could take place this year with maybe a record that's not as bad as you thought. I, I think if you do anything less than 500, you've got a chance uh, to get fired, in my opinion, because I think that the general perception of where this staff is recruiting uh, is would certainly would not be enhanced by that product put on the field this year. Um, obviously this is all going to come down to money. I'll acknowledge that, et cetera. Um, but with early signing and the way that the recruiting calendar has been sped up, you're, I mean, the, you're almost incentivized to make the change with the idea that, you know, you're going to go ahead and give a class away anyway. Uh, and if you think that the chance that there's a 24 class to be salvaged out there, um, I could see where 500, a uh, sub 500 record could mean that you end up losing your job this year, just because I, I think you're going to have a significant erosion of support. And if I think the fan base has been patient, I think the uh, most of the fan base is still there. Certainly we've talked a lot about those who write the biggest checks have been uh, in Mike Norvell's corner. And part of that's, in turn, uh, thanks to some favorable messaging and honest messaging that he gave him early and in front um, as far as what expectations will be. But if there's not uh, if there's not a recruiting, you know, uh, <laughs> better side of this, if, if there's not traction on the trail and you're just kind of putting around being, uh, you know, wildly average, I can see erosion supporting very quick. Doesn't mean it's justified doesn't mean it wouldn't be a hell of a tough three-year uh, judgment with all the things that transpired, COVID, NIL, transfer portal, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I I do think that this conversation could be brought into play this year. I Well, I mean, so sub-500 record, I don't know what the sub-500 record would be that we would actually disagree on. Like, I think three and nine. Yeah, I think if he's five and seven, you got a good, you've got a chance of losing your job. I do. Do you think Alford wants to make that change in a year that he might have to like make a baseball and basketball change as well, though? I don't think so. No, but uh, it wouldn't be ideal, and it certainly wouldn't be ideal from a financial standpoint. And that's uh, you know good to bring up. But I would, you know. Mike Martin can be the head coach of the baseball team for another five years, as far as I'm concerned, if it means that I have to address football. Um, I know people don't appreciate it when I talk like that about the baseball program, but um, one's a revenue sport and one's not. Yeah. And one you kind of have a chance of competing in. And in my opinion, one you really don't. Uh, again, that's another conversation for another time. But um, I do think that with the, recruiting is going to play a massive uh, angle in this. And if some of the lethargy surrounding it continues uh, at particular spots, again, to circle back to what we talked about kind of the first five, 10 minutes, some of these positions that are just kind of not forgivable as far as not having kids in the pipeline because of where you are. Look, if, if you have a hard time getting a quarterback out of the state of Florida, I understand it. If you have a hard time finding offensive tackles out of the state of Florida, I get it. But if you can't get, 
wide receivers, running backs, and linebackers, then you're, you know, we're we're all in the wrong industry. Um, it's it's going to be interesting. And so far, some of the reports are are damning. If Mike Norvell loses this job, it will be because of some of the personnel decisions he made. And I mean, coaching, yeah. staffing, some of the people he retained. Um, ironically enough, Mike's done pretty well at the number one thing that you asked your your consulting agency to find, which is somebody that's going to steer the ship in a in a manner that's you know, not going to have it run into rocks and, and be some major embarrassment. Um, you've built a good foundation. You certainly are in a better place as far as a cultural and a broader staff standpoint than you were two or three years ago. Uh, so what you went out and you asked your consulting group to find, you have. Um, and now it's kind of a question as to whether or not the results are going to be seen on the field. So everybody knows this year is important. That's not breaking news. Uh, but if it goes south, I, I think we could have a conversation a little earlier than than maybe we'd want. But just my opinion. Yeah, I I, I can see where you're coming from with that because it, it almost certainly sets you up to be a lame duck uh, recruiter in 24, unless you know you had a really, really good 24. So the the argument is just rip the band aid. Um, I don't think they're going to go, you know, four and eight. I don't think he gets fired at five and seven. I think they're willing to, to to have more patience than that, especially because you just got, you just fired a guy after two years, and I think a lot of other coaches out there would view this as you just fired a guy after two years, you just fired a guy after three years now, one of which was that that COVID year. So, I mean, you're giving guys two real seasons each time for a place that obviously has structural problems and you know questions about support in the industry. It does, but you'd like, also look at them and say, you know, hypothetically, that coach was. 11 and 21 in three years or whatever it may be. Sure. You know, whatever. And that's, we can't do that at Florida state. I, I, we've got, you know, we don't have T Boone Pickens. We're not, we don't have cash that we can just throw around for fun. Uh, but we're not a, you know, 12 and 22 program or whatever it might be after that. So. Yeah, no, I, 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 I see the argument. I, I think we're probably about a win different as to where we think like the actual danger zone is. I think if you go four and eight, it's it's probably a real legitimate conversation, depending on how, like how that happens. You know, I mean, if you're if you're down to taking like Micah Pittman and running the option because all your quarterbacks get hurt or something like that, that seems <laughs> unreasonable. Um, all right, so Caleb Val, linebacker guy who I do know Florida State like quite a bit. He was scheduled to come in on an official visit. He official, officially visited to North Carolina and has committed to North Carolina. I know that they're not planning to take that many linebackers this year, right? Probably just one, maybe two. Especially it's a spot that you feel like you can go out and find transfers. Uh, but I don't like this linebacker board right now. Now, if things change, right, maybe you get some kind of crazy scenario, decommitments or whatever. But I, I don't really trust who is recruiting the linebacker spot and who they have on the linebacker board right now. It's it's the one position that really stands out to me is like, ugh, this is this is not great. And I don't really have a lot to add. I just I don't like uh I don't like where they're at right now with linebacker. So you're we're talking about a kid who two four sevens offer list as App State, Charlotte, Coastal Carolina, Duke, and North Carolina. It's from a mm -hmm. private school here in the Metro Atlanta area. And you weren't able to get like even real serious consideration out of this kid. 
apparently not enough to get get an OV. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And I think you're already overly picky anyway as to who you offer. So if you're going to be that picky, you better you better be pretty damn accurate as far as understanding and building a relationship with them. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. So <clears throat> uh, this is going a little bit longer as far as just the information. They did part. offer one kid that's interesting to me, by the way, if I, if I can say one thing. They had a kid at Elite Camp named Quindarius Jones. And he's kind of intriguing. Like he's 6'2", looks a little taller than that, moved around pretty well. FSU's his first offer. It looks like he actually plays receiver. I watched his huddle earlier. So, I mean, it's possible they have something there. Obviously, he's pretty, you know, pretty athletic guy. Um, no, he did get an offer from Northwest Community College and East Mississippi Juco, uh, which makes me a little uncertain as to, you know, what's going on there. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know a whole lot about Quindarius Jones, but I do know that I don't really love where they're at linebacker. Check check with me in a month to see if if my opinion on that has changed. Sorry, right. I don't want to be a downer. I, I actually <laughs> feel like we're okay like at most spots. You know, receiver, I'm not as worried about it. some people are. I think I trust Atkins to get offensive line bodies, you know, in. Running back, we'll see. Some people feel like they have they really have something in Benson. I don't know if that's just them trying to like poke fun at me because obviously they know that I question the Benson take. You know? Uh, I don't know that it's not the the guy just looks like Mr. Olympia too. I mean, the guy's physically wildly impressive. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I was skeptical about it as well. I hope I'm wrong. Uh, and people can dunk on me as much as they want. I'm, I'm, obviously, I hope I'm wrong. But let's, uh, you know, let's see it. But I certainly know there's a lot of optimism about Benson. Yeah, 100%. Uh, do you want to do a little congruity and then maybe a, a take Derek's question here? We, we can take the rest of these questions next, next episode. Yeah, we'll try to get something out later in the week, if not first of next. Uh, as always, want to thank our friend Matt Lewis for congruity. Look, there's a lot of different options out there in the market you can work with, and, and there's some massive names out there, one of which in particular is, is kind of synonymous in the industry. Um, how do smaller firms beat larger firms? They beat them with level of service and letter level of attention that you receive, and uh, you're not going to receive better service, and you're not going to have somebody that's more responsive to you and your business needs uh, than that of Matt Lewis. So, uh, look, all we ask is that you give them five minutes. Give them a conversation. Uh, let them <clears throat> see, you know, how how you stack up, how they stack up with what they can offer you and your business. Uh, but Matt's been great for us, been great for for my company, uh, and is uh, somebody that we wholeheartedly recommend. And again, all we ask is for the comparison phone call to be made. And if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. But uh, Matt's been nothing but a great fit for us, and we think he'd be the same for you. Congruity HR dot com is the website you can reach out to me directly if you wish for a uh, third party introduction as many of our listeners have uh, but a big thank you to the team at congruity and uh, somebody that will continue to work with and they're happy to uh, laud praises on so bud we've got a question here from derek his hypothetical stage norvell has to win eight plus games in 22 to keep his job in this scenario, Norvell can swap schedules with any ACC team. 
non-conference games included, which team would you trade schedules with? Oh, okay. Uh, so this is, to me, is fairly obvious. The answer for me is Virginia. Um, I don't think Virginia is going to be very good this year, to be frank, even though I like their quarterback Armstrong a lot and I like their pass catchers. They actually uh, return only 4% of their offensive line snaps from last year. So all five are gone, three transferred out, uh, and that's uh, that's not not great. So they've done minimal work in the transfer portal to address that, I think, and their defense last year was absolutely horrid. However, and I am betting them under seven and a half wins. Uh, feel I feel good about that. Some of the market disagrees. Why does the market disagree? Because this schedule is a joke. All right. So Richmond at Illinois, Old Dominion, Syracuse, Duke, uh, at Georgia Tech, Miami, North Carolina, Pitt, all three at home, Coastal at home, at the Hokies. I would Skipped have over Florida a game State against Louisville there, but yeah, that's a, oh, it's me. an enticing Louisville schedule. Louisville at home. Certainly. I would have FSU favored in 11 games. <laughs> Just because of where they're at. I mean, the, yeah. your, your roadies are Illinois, Syracuse, Duke, Georgia Tech, Vatek. Now, they're not going to be favored by 10 points in all, in all these games. A couple of these would be field goals-ish. Like, at home against Pitt is kind of coin flippy. Pitt's very good on both lines of scrimmage. You know, at home against Miami, I think Miami's a better team than you are. Are they way better than you are? Uh, probably not. Again, Louisville at home, I think right now you're a small underdog there, so you'd probably be you know, a small favorite in Tallahassee. Um, you know, I don't think it's crazy to think that you would be – like, the win total for FSU would probably be – Right now, it's like six and a half juice over, seven, you know, juice under. It's probably two to two and a half wins higher if you play this schedule. Interesting. Yeah. My runners up is friendly. Duke, 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 Duke and Hokies. Yeah. Duke's who I was going to throw out there as well. Temple, Northwestern, was it NC, AT, Kansas, yeah. Virginia, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, DU, Boston College, Virginia Tech, Pitt, and Wake Forest. So, yeah, that is a, that's a friendly schedule in its own right. Uh, on the other end of the s- spectrum, Georgia Tech. That's uh, have fun with that, guys. That's <laughs> that tough. is malfeasance uh, by, yeah. by an AD. Like, what what are you doing? Um, if you if you you've looked at this, obviously, I don't know if the audience has. Georgia Tech is playing Clemson, Western Carolina, Ole Miss, at UCF, at Pitt. Duke, UVA, at FSU, at the Hokies, Miami, at Carolina, that's North Carolina, at Georgia. Do they start any better than one and five? Have fun with that, guys. Yeah, that's, that's, and I've been surprised by how many people have been able to bring in and what would certainly appear as Jeff Collins, the the final year of the Jeff Collins experiment. I mean, if they have, if they have the money to do it, which I, I I don't have a good feel for Georgia Tech's finances. It's, it's not great. It's not it's not all that different than some of the concerns that Florida State has. Okay. They also still, I mean, the, the Paul Hewitt basketball contract, and we reference this about once every two or three years on this podcast, it's one of the worst sporting contracts ever signed and uh, was something that Georgia Tech's just now kind of crawling out from under uh from a from a athletic uh department standpoint so yeah for sure that was kind of a fun question i i, I like that i feel like we answered 
a lot of these other guys' questions right now, no, they don't have a whole lot of momentum on the trail. Uh, no, they're probably not going to pick up a whole lot of momentum on the trail, uh, ultimately, you know, because a lot of these kids will be signed by the time they're, or not signed, but committed by the time they finish their season. If they start really hot, you could maybe pick up an extra kid or two. It's more about solidifying the 2024 class, you know, make, making sure that thing's okay uh, and building for the future, I would yeah. say. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's also inaccurate to say that they aren't in it with any of the top kids. I mean, you, you go through the list of guys who are, to, are the top in the state and you know, I'm going to pull up the top two, four, seven, because I feel like the rankings there are quite frankly, just better, uh, than the composite right now. So they're not in it for Kamani McLean, uh, Keeley, Cornell Tate, uh, I'm not really sure Derek LeBlanc, like the interest in him matches up with his rating, to be frank. Uh, I, like just from what I, what I hear, uh, I do think they're in it for Hakeem Williams. I think they are somewhat in it for Jalen Brown, not hundred percent convinced of that with Raylan Wilson. I mean, if he was to open up, that would totally change my opinion on, you know, what's going on with the linebacker recruiting. But as of right now, you know, I would say, say probably not. They don't seem to be pursuing the Harris twins that hard, which um, kind of puzzles me a little bit. You know, they did recruit McCarty Vickers, and uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to get him. Uh, they are recruiting John Walker. They're not going to get him, most likely, assuming he's a take at Ohio State. Um, Lucas Simmons, they're definitely in it for the you know offensive tackle, top one fifty kid in the country. Um, looking here. I don't think they're really in it for Ruben Bain. Jordan Hall, they're definitely in it for. Somebody actually dropped a crystal ball for Jordan Hall to FSU. Uh, oh, J.C. Sherbert. Okay. Um, that would be a big get. That's He's a player. And this is Jordan Hall, the defensive tackle, not not the linebacker. That's a guy I know like other schools uh, like quite a bit. Obviously, they already have Lamont Green Jr. He's another four-star in the state. They're very much in it for Rod Kearney. Uh, I think they're actually in it for Jakeem Jackson. To be frank, I, I think that they have a chance to get an OV out of him. He has three scheduled right now, Auburn, Penn State, and Tennessee. Uh, but they could probably get in the last OV on that one. And looking at other guys here, we are almost out of the four-star range. They're not, they're not recruiting him. Uh, and keep in mind as well, like not everybody um, – matches up or is the right fit they're definitely in it for Sharif Denson now both of Denson's parents went to Florida so you know we'll see what happens uh there uh if Cedric Hawkins was to decommit from Ohio State I think they would be uh, right there in the mix for that and there's some three stars in the state that I think have a chance to be up at the four-star level eventually so anyway uh, it's not accurate to say that they're not in it for any of the top kids in the state uh, but it is also accurate to say that they are, you know, not in it for enough to get this thing back on like national championship track. Uh, are they in it for enough to improve the roster year over year again? Yeah, I think so. So we'll see. Um, you know, I had a coach ask me like, what do you think? I was like, I think they're improving the roster year over year and they're getting better year over year. I just don't know if they're doing it fast enough. Next time. Sorry. I think you either you're muted or or my AirPod just quit. I'm muted. 
because that's okay. the professional way to end the podcast. Uh, next time, indeed, man. We've got a couple of listener questions that we'll roll over. Save till next time. Uh, as always, want to thank you for listening. If you get a chance to give us a review, greatly appreciated for myself, for Bud, and everybody else involved in the Nullcast. This has been this week's episode. We'll be back with you soon. Talk to you then.